Remain standing and pray with me. Almighty God, we come before you, as we always do each Sunday, to receive from you everything we need for life and for salvation. And so, pour out your gifts upon us through word and sacrament, we pray. Enliven my words. May they be your words for your people this morning. And allow them by your spirit to take root and cultivate deep roots within our hearts so that we can bear fruit for your kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. If you're wondering, the Red Dixie Cup is the liturgically appropriate cup for water up here. In January of 2008, God began a good work in Winston-Salem when he called and gathered together a small group of folks led by Father Ben to plant Christ Church. And since the start of Christ Church, God has continually blessed this congregation. He has been so very good to this church. In difficult times and seasons of, of expansion when we've planted two churches, but he's been good all along the way for us as a congregation and for all of us individually. And I know many of you could stand up right now and bear witness to this fact, to the, the presence and the work of God's Spirit among us, animating the new life that is ours in King Jesus. And for those here who are new to our congregation, we are in a season of good transitions. There are bad transitions in life, but this is a good one. And as part of these good transitions, we are looking toward the future of Christ Church, and we are asking God to continue the good work that he began among us in 2008 that he would continue to pour out his blessing and favor on us into a new season of life. And so we want to ask, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us in the next season of life to be a church for the glory of God and for the life of our neighbors? What does it mean for us to be a church for the glory of God and for the life of our neighbors? That's what was a driving force behind our church for the past 15 years. It will continue to be a driving force for our church for 15 more. And so we want to ask ourselves again and afresh. And so over the next few months in the sermons, I'm going to be walking us through a picture of our church's future. I'll be talking about who we are as a church, where are we going, and what is God calling us to do in the next season of our church's life together. Now, if you have been coming to Christ Church for many years, some of this, I hope, will be very familiar. The DNA of this church, by God's grace, will remain the same. It's DNA that he placed here. We don't want to go tinkering with that. We don't want to do any kind of genetic twisting. We want that to be the same. God is not calling Christ Church in some radical new direction. Rather, he's calling us to deepen and to expand the work that he began here and the work that he continues to bless here among us. And yet, as we look to the future, some things are going to change. For instance, we're out of room. This is a very, uh, this is a very little, there's very little room left in our sanctuary. Since January, we've added about 40 folks to our worship we have no adequate indoor space for hospitality. In a day like this, we feel that with the potential for rain. Our back hallway is maybe enough to, to, to accommodate just a few of us, but we love to get back there and get real close. It's great, and, and share each other's coffee and, and crumbs and dessert. It's wonderful. 
but we're out of room there. We have no adequate space for fellowship. We're overloaded in our children's spaces for nursery, from nursery to catechesis to the Good Shepherd to, to the New City Catechism. And things are only going to get tighter because we have 30 kids three years old and under. What a wonderful gift. By God's grace, as we mentioned yesterday, if you're here for our Deeper Roots vision, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. No, God, by God's grace, we have a problem. We have outgrown this church. It does not allow us the space needed to deepen and expand the work that God is doing here. We're like a growing plant in a small pot. You know the one you might have gotten from the the nursery that has roots wrapped all around the inside? We're like a growing plant in a small pot. We need to be transplanted to a new location in Winston-Salem where we can grow deep roots that enable us by God's grace to continue to flourish and to bear fruit for his kingdom in Winston-Salem. So this situation has led the vestry, and that's our, if you don't know what that word means, that's okay, that's our lay leadership board uh, here uh, at the church. Uh, This situation has led our vestry, one, to actively search for long-term solutions, for a new home for Christ Church, and also, two, to consider a major capital campaign. And so over the fall, we're we're going to be having a feasibility study conducted, which we, which, uh, which we received a generous grant to cover in preparation for a potential capital campaign beginning next year. So for some of you, this season of transition will be painful. And for others, it will be a welcome change. All transition is. Some of us, we hate change. And so any change is going to be painful. Other of us want to change all the time. And so it's like, all right. <laughs> saddled me up for it. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And so we're going through this season of change. And God always calls us, and every bit of this, God always calls us to work. It's part of being, a, part of being an image bearer, part of being a, a member of the church, that God always calls us to a work that is beyond us, so that we will run to him for the strength to carry on. Yes, God does put you in situations that are beyond your control, beyond your ability to endure, to confront, to get through, because he wants you to fall upon his grace and mercy, his provision, his strength in your life, his spirit that empowers and animates you. That's the very call to discipleship is marked by this quality. Pick up your cross daily and follow after me. Well, if you know the way of Jesus is not some easy thing that you can just do all on your own, you need him for it. And so everything he calls us to in life requires us to fall upon his grace and mercy. So as we look to the work that God is calling us to do in this next season of life, I want to encourage us this morning with three truths from Paul's letter to the Philippians that that we need to take with us into this next season of life at Christ Church. So turn with me, if you would, to Paul's letter to the Philippian church, chapter 1. There's a wonderful old prayer that's attributed to Sir Francis Drake. You may know him as that daring 16th century British sailor. Uh, And the prayer goes something like this. O Lord God, When thou givest to thy servants to endeavor any great matter, grant us also to know that it is not the beginning, but the continuing of the same until it be thoroughly finished, which yieldeth the true glory through him who for the finishing of thy work laid down his life for us, our Redeemer, 
Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a prayer of perseverance, for perseverance. And Sir Francis Drake certainly knew something about perseverance because sea voyages of the time were ones marked by danger, monotony, long time out on the sea. And what is especially important about this prayer is that Drake grounds perseverance in God the Father to whom he addresses the prayer and to Jesus Christ whose example of perseverance, even unto death, is our guiding north star. And I think Drake must have had in mind Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, when he penned this prayer. There we hear Paul say, I am sure of this, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will thoroughly finish his work among you. And here's our first truth that we need to take with us into this next season of life at Christ Church. God is the beginner and the finisher. God is the beginner and the finisher. And the particular work that God has begun collectively in us at Christ Church is the work of grace, as we see there in Philippians 1. It is the work of grace through the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus Christ has broke open the kingdom of God in this world by means of his death and resurrection. So this is the work that God's begun with us is a work of grace through the gospel in our hearts and lives. And God doesn't start writing a story only to stop halfway through. That's not his nature. That's not his character. No, he finishes the story he begins. And Paul is confident of this fact that God is indeed the finisher. He will finish the story he began to write at Christ Church 15 years ago. And so we can have confidence, along with Paul, that when we respond obediently to God's work among us, stepping out in faith, trusting that he will carry that work to completion, that he will indeed finish writing our story here. Now, Lord willing, that will be beyond our time at this church when we are long gone and have been with the Lord for many years in glory. May that work continue on to the day of Christ. Or if that day of Christ comes sooner, all the better. (laughs) But the point is, is that God is the one finishing this work. And this truth is so remarkably free. We do not have to devise intricate and complicated strategies for our future. We do not need to try and ghostwrite the story that God is already writing for us here. Rather, we are to lean further into the work that God is doing, the story that he is writing on the pages of our lives with the pen of his grace. Strategies can be useful, but they do not finish the work. They do not pin the conclusion. Only God. Only God can do that work. And why are we unable to finish the work? Well, because we are the work. Do you expect a lump of clay to mold itself into a pot or a coffee cup? No, it needs the potter to do that work. We are the work. This is the second truth we must take with us into the next season of life at Christ Church. So God is the beginner. He is the finisher. We are his work. You, Christ Church, are God's work. 
The you Paul refers to here is plural. It's not singular. I think so often in our reading, from our backgrounds and our culture, we tend to read those yous as singular. But Paul here is talking about the church at Philippi as a whole. You, you are God's work, church. Of course, what is true of the church collectively is true of its members individually. Each one of you is God's work, but that's not what Paul's emphasizing here. No, Paul is emphasizing, he's speaking to a church uh, here that is much like our own, and through him, the Spirit of God is speaking to us today, saying, you, Christ church, you are the work of God. Of course, we hear Paul speak like this elsewhere. You might already be thinking of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul says, For we, again plural, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Paul is saying that we are the object and the product of God's creative labor, his creative endeavors in this world. And the workshop in which he is fashioning us anew is Christ. He's doing that work to us In Christ, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Again, just like with our first truth, our second truth is so freeing. We do not have to create and then curate our own lives. It's given for us. It's beautifully and already uniquely made and given to us. We are his work. We are his creative endeavor. We are not our own. And this is such good news, especially today, because there is so much pressure on folks, and especially our younger folks, to create themselves, to fashion their own unique identity. And there is danger here for the church as well that we allow these same social forces and pressures to shape the contours of our life together as a church to the extent that we believe we can create the church, that we can fashion our own unique church identity. We've got to get the branding right. We've got to get everything right, and then this is how it's all going to work. Listen, Christ Church. We are God's work. We are God's work. From his vastly more creative fingers, he has fashioned an identity for us in Jesus. And he will complete that fashioning work in us at the day of Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship created in Jesus. As Paul teaches elsewhere, it is God who composes the body. And as we learned last week, it is God who uniquely gifts each member of Christ's body. And it is the spirit of grace from God that animates those gifts in us to build up, to create his church into a people who embody genuine love. Yet since God is the beginner and the finisher, and since we are his work, then are we simply to be passive? Just to sit back and enjoy the ride? God's doing everything. We are the work. He is the worker. He's going to complete and finish what he began. What's the answer, Christ Church? No. God created us to be creators to partner with him in this work of creation and redemption. This truth is written into the very fabric of creation. Our bodies are literally designed to create life. But they are not designed to create life in isolation. 
Life emerges from a partnership between a a husband and a wife and God. Now, there are obviously marks of our broken world where that design is thwarted, at least for a time. But that's written into the very fabric of creation. And this reveals to us our third encouraging truth that we must take with us into the next season of life at Christ Church. We respond to God's work of grace in our lives by throwing ourselves fully into what, what Paul calls in verse 5, partnership in the gospel. Partnership in the gospel. The Greek word translated partnership is koinonia. I don't usually like to give the words, but I think people have heard this word. People use it a lot. The word is koinonia, and this is usually translated fellowship by many translations. Now, fellowship's not a bad translation, but it doesn't always capture well the meaning of koinonia in every context. And that's the case here. Paul's use of the term here aligns with how it was typically used in the broader Greek-speaking world to indicate a business partnership. And in particular, a business partnership where all the parties involved were committed to at least two things. One, to share the workload, right? To go shoulder to shoulder to put the work in to get the job done. And two, to share the financial responsibilities of the endeavor. In the context of this letter, Paul uses this term because he's just received a financial gift from the Philippians. He's in prison. And prisons of that day did not provide for the, the, the life or the clothing of their prisoners. There was no food provided. There was no clothing provided. None of the necessities of sustaining life. You had to rely completely upon friends and family to bring you those goods in order for you to stay alive in prison. And so Paul is writing this letter in part to thank them for this work. And this is why Paul speaks of his confidence that God will finish the good work that he's already evidently begun in them because this gift is a sign of God's ongoing labor, his ongoing fashioning of the Philippian church into his desired end goal, which is Christ, the one who gives himself sacrificially for the benefit of others. And since this partnership is in the gospel, the good news that God's kingdom has come in Jesus' death and resurrection, it is ultimately a participation and partnership in the very work that God is doing. It's not just that the Philippians are partnering with Paul in the work of the gospel. They're partnering along with Paul with God in the work of the gospel. Because the gospel business is God's business. He's the chief owner and CEO. He holds all the shares. It's his business, and he invites us into it to participate with him. So what does this mean for us then? It means that you and I are partners in the gospel. We're partners in the greatest venture ever undertaken on planet earth. One that goes back to the very mind of God prior to creation. Before he ever creates, you were thought of by him. His work of creation was thought of. His work of redemption was thought of. We, are, we, are, we hear in Scripture that Jesus, before the foundations of the world, was set apart as our Redeemer, our Savior. You are a part of the gospel endeavor on planet Earth. And this is such a wonderful thing to join our hearts and minds and bodies together in. And together as Christ Church, we are partners with God in this business of spreading the good news through word and deed that God's kingdom has burst onto the scene through Jesus, through his death and resurrection. 
As partners together with God, we are in the gospel business, the grace business. We have been blessed by this business ourselves, and this blessing of the gospel comes with responsibility, the responsibility of partnership. And for Paul, that looks like sharing in the workload and in the financial responsibilities of the endeavor. And we'll unpack this partnership more fully in the weeks to come But as we enter a new season of life here at Christ Church, let's take these three truths with us and allow them to encourage our hearts, freeing us from the pressure that it rests all upon our shoulders, but put that pressure on God. As we follow Him obediently, following His lead and His will, using the wisdom that He gives us and always falling on our knees and saturating the entire endeavor in prayer, He will lead us into the future He has prepared for us. He will lead us into greater kingdom mission in this world and greater transformation in our lives. That's His promise. He is the beginner and the finisher. We are the work. And he fashions us in such a way to be partners in his gospel business. The words of take my life and let it be capture so well how it should re- we should respond to these three truths. And I'm just going to read these in conclusion. I didn't think about this. We should have sang this, but that's, that's short-sighted on my part. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move in at that impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as you choose. Here I am, all of me. Take my life, it's all for thee. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, My Lord, I pour at your feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever all for thee, only all for thee. Christ Church, I'm so grateful for you all. So thankful for your partnership in the gospel. There's a lot of work in front of us as a church, but it's a good and exciting time. It's good work. It's gospel work. And by God's grace, we will respond to what he's doing among us in faith and obedience. And here's the beautiful thing about that. When we give him our everything, take all of us, all that we have, he responds in ways that are far beyond whatever we could think or imagine. And so commit yourself along with me to what God is doing among us, Christ Church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.